You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. On Tuesday, we started talking about Genjo Koan. And today I wanted to speak to that a little bit, maybe in a different way. I think this talk will be a, an old refrain for me. And yet, even as I think about it and how many times I've tried to speak to it, it's still a little bit unformed in my mind. Dogen writes, when you see forms or hear sounds fully engaging body and mind, you grasp things directly. And we talked about this. This idea of doing something completely. This idea of doing something without holding back. Unlike things and their reflections in the mirror, and unlike the moon and its reflection in the water, when one side is illuminated, the other side is dark. I thought about this a lot. This idea that one side is illuminated and the other side is dark. And what I keep coming back to is, so what? <laughs> right? We look at the moon, there's a side of the moon that's illuminated and there's a side of the moon that's dark. There's a full moon. It's always a full moon. It's always complete. The fact that we can't see it doesn't make it any less full. I think when we talk about one side versus two sides, maybe instead of this idea of of light and dark or seen and unseen, we might be better served to think in terms of, of our hands. What is it to do things with one hand as opposed to doing things with two? What does it mean to hold something with just one hand as opposed to two? One is halfway. One is fully engaging. But then I can say that and I think that naturally the question arises again so what? This is like my children, they're, they're a little bit past this stage now. But they would say, well, uh, you know, why do people die? 
And I would try to explain that there's just no way around it. And they'd say, but why? And I'd try to explain it from a different angle. And they'd say, but why? <laughs> but why? Right. There's no end to this question of why. <laughs> it's, it's bottomless. We can have the same question here for anything. You know, why do we turn clockwise instead of counterclockwise? Why? Mm-hmm. Right. And if we don't do it that way, so what? <laughs> it's not that it's an unreasonable question. It's a very reasonable question. It would be surprising to me, at least, if along the way this question wasn't arising for you constantly. Why? What's the point? As an editor, I deal with this a lot. People write articles that are really interesting, and I get to the end, and I think, but so what? So I call them up and I say, so what? (laughs) I need that. I need the part where you tell me why I should read this. Because we have that expectation. We assume that something will not just be presented, but that we'll understand its value or that its value will be explained to us. If you have close family or friends who know what you're doing today and none of them have ever asked why, that's strange. Why do you go and sit still all day facing a wall? And you can answer because it's not that there's no answer. There are lots of things you could say that are honest. They could be personal, or, or, or they could be scientific. <laughs> but then as soon as you say that answer, the natural next question is, but why? <laughs> why that? Or why this way? <laughs> and so you try to answer that. And then the person will ask, but why? Mm -hmm. Someone asked me last year, uh, I was at one of these meetings that I traveled to, someone uh, over lunch, it was a very, it was a very casual situation and suddenly it wasn't a casual question. Someone said, what is your reason for living? Hmm? This is great. Icebreaker. And, you know, I could do this to any of you, and, and, and I'll confess, you know, in the moment that I hear the question, there's a part of me that it flashes through a, a, a menu of heroic answers that I can give, mm-hmm. you know, that are related to people I care about or related to the Dharma or related to whatever, right? And then, but once I kind of see how incomplete all of those are, 
I come to what feels like the honest answer, which is what I, what I told this person. I don't have one. It's not that I can't come up with one. It's not that I can't come up with an excuse for remaining alive one more day. But that's not, that's not my reason. I don't need a reason to be alive. I don't really need a reason to get up in the morning. There might be a reason that I get up at six instead of seven. But I don't need a reason to come back to the world. There are things that are so fundamental to our understanding of our lives that we cannot separate ourselves out. And earlier in the text, Dogen talks about carrying yourself forward. He says, if you carry yourself forward and experience myriad things, that's delusion. If you start from a position of I, If you start from a position of I, that means that there's something that's not I. For this I to go forward and encounter something, to reach out to something, to try to do something, that I kind of need a reason. <laughs> I need something to push me to do that. But then he says that myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. There are other things we do that don't start from I. Because they're basic. Waking up doesn't start with I. Maybe it does sometimes, if it feels like a battle, but generally speaking, no. Taking a breath doesn't start with I. We just breathe. We breathe all day, and the only time that we're bad at it is when we think about it. The rest of the time, it's indistinguishable from me. It's what I am. I am inhalation. I am exhalation. There are friendships that we maintain that we could never explain with why. They go too far back and they go too deep. And if you met that person today, that connection wouldn't be there.
And yet because it goes back to that basic place, it's almost cellular. You can't not care about that person. You can't not feel connected to that person across time and across space. We bow over and over. We need to, we should bow more. But when we bow over and over again, it becomes like breathing. When we sit, it really is just breathing. It's being that. It doesn't need a reason why. You can hear in my voice, I'm a little bit sick today. And the sneezing fits and all these other things. But there's no me that is sick that is in opposition to this. I could stay home and I could breathe. I can come here and I can breathe. In either case, I don't need an excuse. I don't need a story. I don't need to look at all the alternatives. I can be alive like this, or I can be alive like that. There's an idea we have of koan practice, I think, and, and you know, koan becomes the word of the day now that we're reading this text, that we, that we receive the koan as a kind of problem. Right? And the common story about that problem is that once offered the problem, you try to solve it from one direction, and then you try to solve it from another direction, and then you try to solve it from another direction, and another direction, until you've tried all directions. And the, the solution, such as it is, has to do with, with having exhausted all possibilities until you're left with a kind of, with empty hands. There's no reason not to ask ourselves why. There's no reason not to ask ourselves, so what? I think we should. But whenever we hear the word in our mind, we can also recognize it as a koan in that sense. Because there is no single direction from which we can answer that question and be satisfied. There's just another one right behind it, and another one right behind that, and another one behind that.
It's why, 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 all the way down. At some point, and we usually don't know the reason why, we stop asking that question. We stop asking, so what? It stops feeling pressing. We lose this sense that the answer is the thing that's missing. That that's the key. Or that the answer is the thing that will fuel our continuation of this. This being all sorts of things, not just this. So after this, when you turn back to the wall, you can ask yourself, so why am I doing this? And when the bell rings and you just stand up automatically, you can ask yourself why. You can even insert it if you want. If that question's been fading, you can bring it back to the front. See how it tastes. See how it feels to force this, this question upon yourself. It will take care of itself. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.